Well, Tuesday's 10th consecutive rate rise would have been painful for many of you. The Reserve Bank has hinted some reprieve will soon come if the data allows it. Yesterday, Governor Phil Lowe said he had an open mind about the next board meeting, despite saying 24 hours earlier that further tightening of monetary policy was needed. The Minister for Finance and Women, Katie Gallagher, joins me now. Minister, welcome back to the program. Uh, Thanks for having me on, Patricia. So that word was delivered yesterday, which we had not heard before, the word pause. How do you read these comments by Dr Lowe? Well, obviously, um, we're all, you know, watching and listening um, when the governor speaks. Um, I think from what I saw of uh, his address and the question and answer session was he was indicating that you read the, you know, they're going to continue to look as the data comes in and they make their decisions accordingly. So I don't think that's necessarily a surprise, but, um, you know, it's something we'd want, want, we'd want the bank to be doing, I would suggest, um, because, you know, when they're making decisions, obviously those decisions impact on, on all of us. Uh, so I didn't see anything hugely surprising. Um, read the data, make and the evidence, and then make decisions about interest rates based on those. But either either way, there are many in, in your government uh, who have expressed concerns about the approach that the RBA has taken. Is it time to pause? Well, uh, Patricia, I don't think it will surprise you that I'm going to answer that by saying these are matters for the Reserve Bank. Um, we don't preempt their decisions or um, and they explain their decisions as the governor did yesterday. Um, I think comments about from politicians and from other commentators. Uh, around concerns around the effect on cost of living pressures on people are well understood, you know. So I don't, again, I don't think it's unusual for people to be wanting to see a pause, um, you know, because of the impact that these um, interest rates are having, obviously. And we're seeing that through some of the data, but more importantly, we're hearing it from people directly about, you know, how difficult things have become, particularly those uh, who have mortgages and have seen such significant increases over the Um, 10 interest rate rises we've seen since uh, just prior to the election when they started. You get the same data that the RBA receives. The government makes assessments about how the economy is going. Is it your view that we have now sufficiently slowed the economy to deal with the so-called inflation dragon? Well, we, uh, of course, look at the data and, I mean, there's no doubt in the national accounts that you saw that the economy is moderating. You're seeing it come through in some of uh, the employment data and other economic data that's released uh, frequently that the impact of interest rates uh, is having an effect on the economy. Um, you know, so there's no doubt about that. And the decisions we take really about how do we make our decisions around in a budget and and support for the economy um, that don't make the, the Reserve Bank jobs harder, um, you know, that we make sure that our decisions are working hand in hand with monetary policy uh, to ensure that we're doing the job that we need to do, that part of our responsibility, and that's feeding into decisions, obviously, that we're taking in this budget. Well, let's go to those decisions in this budget. You were already looking to cut back some spending. That's what you you have tasked yourself with, an ongoing mm-hmm. process. You've told us before Are you now looking to escalate that because of the inflation issue and the heavy lifting you need to do as a government to try and take pressure off inflation? Well, we're certainly looking at how we can um, institute some budget repair. I mean, 
we've inherited a budget with massive deficits. There's a $50 billion structural deficit that exists in the budget. That's every year. Um, and we've got this massive debt that we've inherited as well. So we have this responsibility to manage the debt, look at how we repair the budget over time. And I guess the other pressure we've got is that the you know, and we've talked about this a lot, Patricia, is the pressures coming towards the budget are increasing, not decreasing. So that requires us to have a look at current expenditure, um, where it is, what the priorities are, where the sum of it can be reprioritised into these new and emerging pressures, but also are there areas where we can make sensible savings? And I'm not going to pretend it's easy. It is not easy. Um, you know, we've got a whole range of booby traps that were left by the former government for us that we are working through now. You know, these list of terminating pressures on programs that aren't terminating for a start, which certainly dressed up how the budget um, uh, balance looked over time, but masked the reality of the funding pressures that were being faced uh, on that budget. So we're dealing with a whole range of things, terminating measures, Okay. Um, increasing but, pressures. Yeah, all and, of that. Yeah, we're looking that. for savings. You're, yeah. you, you're already looking for savings. What I'm really trying to find out from you is, is there more urgency to find more savings in the wake of all of this economic data? Well, we don't want to make, uh, through budget decisions, the inflation problem worse. Um, so, yes, we have a responsibility to make sure that the spending we do is quality spending, it's investing in the productive side of the economy um, and that we're showing restraint. So and that restraint upside, is more urgent than the last time we talked. That's what I'm trying to get at. Uh, well, look, we there, we certainly was aware of the inflation problem in October. And so you saw that we where we had upside uh, revenue coming into the budget, that we banked that. Like I think it was 99% in the first two years, 94% of the upside revenue over the Ford estimates. Now, that was an important message, um, not just from the fact that we're going to be fiscally responsible, but that where we can, um, you know, show restraint in spending, we will. Um, and so we will continue that in the May budget um, where we will can show restraint. Will you bank all of it? Well, we, we are in the ERC process now. Um, PK, so I can't go to decisions that might be taken in, in the future around it. But I can honest, I can absolutely say to you that Jim and I are determined to uh, be responsible in terms of budgets. Uh, we've got a massive job to do and that will require showing restraint because of this inflation pressure we see in the economy. We don't want to make it worse. We're conscious of the fact that our spending... Um, you know, if we're not mindful of it, that it could have an impact, and so we're not we're not putting ourselves in that position. I want you to put your Minister for Women hat on, and I'll ask just a couple of questions of things that we've been watching. Yesterday, we know was International Women's Day, of course, but but women are hundreds of years away from gender pay equality. Many are calling for the activity test to be changed, which encourages women to work to receive childcare subsidies. So there's been a new report. It finds that it's a barrier, that act activity test. Will you m remove it? Uh, well, I've seen the reports, PK, and, you know, obviously read everything Angela Jackson uh, writes. Uh, she's fantastic. And I, I'm, I really welcome this kind of the interest in how do we get rid of the structural barriers that exist for women and their economic participation. So we've already made some slight changes to the activity test to boost um, the number of hours that First Nations children can access uh, childcare, subsidised childcare. So that's a start. 
And there's also, as you know, the productivity review of the early childhood education system, which includes an assessment of the activity test. So that is underway. I think the other thing I would say is the Women's Economic Equality Task Force, which is chaired by the amazing Sam Mostyn, she, uh, I know that this issue is coming up in that forum and they'll be providing me with advice in the next couple of weeks around changes they would like to see to support women's economic participation in the economy. This is something we, you know, um, we want, we are pursuing as a government, actively pursuing. Uh, and so this is, you know, I'm aware of it um, and it's being assessed through a number of different mechanisms. More than 200 charities and homelessness services have written to the government pleading for more support, saying they're having to turn away more vulnerable people from shelters. We know women over 55 are the fastest growing demographic affected by poverty and homelessness. There is a specific one-year amount of money that they need an extension of. Will you recommit to it? Yes, so this is again uh, before us right now. The Housing Minister, in fact, I was having a discussion with her yesterday. The Housing Minister is currently negotiating. This is an agreement with the states and territories. Uh, So she is in negotiations with them around uh, this National Housing and Homelessness Agreement. And again, this I am aware of this issue. It is currently uh, part of those negotiations. But, uh, you know, okay. we are... The, the yeah. former government would often sort of handball the issue to the states and territories. Yeah, this, I'm not trying to do that. Yeah, I, this is what I'm going to yeah, ask I'm you. Not. Are you trying to handball it? Because they no, say they're going to have to essentially sack workers that are helping people who are becoming homeless because of our economic crisis. Yeah, no, I'm not trying to handball it, but it is it that agreement uh, which this money flows through is part of the National Housing and Homelessness Agreement, and we are in active negotiations with the states. I'm aware of the ERO uh, issue. This is, um, you know, to give appropriate remuneration funding for or funding for um, payment for staff, uh, and um, Julie Collins is working hard on it. I can't give you an answer today because it's, it is right literally on our table. On but the you desk won't. Right will now. you allow a situation where they have to essentially sack staff that are dealing with the most vulnerable people in our community? Well, that is definitely not the outcome that we want to see. And I would say, again, this is another one of those areas where we have inherited, um, you know, in the housing area more broadly, you know, problems from 10 years of lack of interest in this sector. And we're working through all of these issues in the speediest way we can, working with the states and territories and mindful of the sector that provides these essential services. Just to another issue, which actually is coming up in your own territory. I was going to call it a state. It's not quite Uh a state. Um, An Australian Institute survey of more than 1,000 people, it's actually 1,100 people in the ACT, found more than 63% oppose new coal and gas and over 80% oppose the use of unlimited carbon credits. Now, safeguards mechanism, I know it's not your uh, portfolio to negotiate on that. That's Chris Bowen. We've spoken to him this week. But your own territory is urging David Pocock not to support it. But they're your, your voters too. Are you concerned? They don't want more coal and gas. They don't want new coal and gas. Well, uh, I don't that that uh, result. I haven't seen that report, uh, Patricia, but it's it doesn't surprise me. I mean, the ACT uh, has been leading the way in terms of adoption of renewable energy targets, including when I was uh, chief minister. I think they uh, were we rely on one hundred percent renewable energy now in our jurisdiction because of policies that um, you put in place uh, 10, 10 or fifteen years ago. So that 
that doesn't surprise me. And I understand uh, the issue more broadly. You know, people do want to see the shift to renewable energy generation. I guess the argument we're having is, um, you know, the pathway to get there and the transition to get there that doesn't just affect people in the ACT, it uh, affects uh, the entire country and and the country, you know, is, is very different, as we know. Uh, but the safeguard mechanism is, the first, you know, it's a real opportunity to make huge progress forward in reducing our emissions in a way where we can all work together. And so I am really hopeful that we don't get to a situation where we have a stalemate in the Senate on this, um, but that we can't make um, something that doesn't please everyone to 100% stall um, in the face of the progress that we know we need to make. So we're just going to continue to talk with Senator Pocock and others to get this through the Senate because it's essential if we're going to make the you know first and important steps to reducing emissions from our biggest polluters. Minister, we're out of time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, PK. Minister for Finance and Women, Katie Gallagher. Getting in touch with ABCRN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.